Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Uh, we are in, we are finishing out 1 Thessalonians today. We are on chapter 5. Uh, our series is called Your King is Coming. Your King is Coming. This is the very last one um, in, the, in, the, in the series. Um, and this is exciting. This is really kind of cool. There's some stuff in here that I didn't realize was here that kind of piqued my interest a little. And, and uh, so I want to share, share it with you this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. God, we thank you for your word because we know that it, it changes us and it, it makes us new. Uh, it is your word that, um, uh, that created everything that we see. It was your word that pronounced forgiveness and grace on our life. But we ask that uh, this morning as we open it up, we will experience all those things again. Something new created in us. Um, connection with you by way of grace and forgiveness or by way of warning and, and exhortation. Um, but we ask that uh, during this time, we can, we can uh, learn something about you that we did not know. And we can walk away changed and different. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read you the first few verses of First Thessalonians of our passage today. First Thessalonians 5. We're going to start in verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Point number one, if you're keeping notes, care for your own soul. What do I need to do while I wait for the coming of my king? You need to care for your own soul. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there are not too many people in line to do that, to do that for you. Have you noticed? There are very few people who are standing outside your door when you wake up in the morning. They look at you and say, hey, do you need anything? Can I take care of you? Some of you are like, yeah, that's the problem with my marriage. Somebody needs to be asking me that more. Oh, this is the thing. At some point, you must care for your own soul. Well, how do you care for your own soul? See, in church, this is not a thing we talk about very often. Oftentimes, church in history has been this. You need to stop caring about yourself so much. Well, here's what happens. If it comes down to love your neighbor as yourself, here's what we do. We do. We love our neighbor like we love ourselves. And if you love your neighbor like you love yourself, how good is that? Because I don't know about you, but there's days where I look at me in the mirror and am very intolerant of who I am. Mm, I don't like you. Ooh, I do not like you today. You are not a good guy today. I got all kinds of jacked up problems going on in my head. I don't like me today. Jesus is trying to talk to me, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced I don't want to hear from him today. I don't like me. And if that becomes the, the mode that I'm going to love other people, treat everybody else like you treat yourself. Okay. That'd be just fine. I treat myself pretty poor sometimes. So you know what you get, right? 
Maybe loving your neighbor as you love yourself is a dangerous thing if you don't know how to love yourself. You must care for your own soul. Well, what if my spouse doesn't want to help me? Care for your own soul. Yeah, but what if my kids won't? Care for your own soul. On some level, care for your own soul. If there's nothing in the cup, what are you going to pour out? If there's nothing there, you can dump it all day long. You got zero to give. Care for your own soul. Here's the way the Apostle Paul puts it. Verse 8. Be self-controlled. Put on, the, put on faith and love as a breastplate. Do you think that that's ironic? That the breastplate is there to cover all the vital organs? Yet when we begin to talk about emotions, where do we talk about them coming from? If you ask us in the Western world, we say from our heart, right? If you go back to the Greeks, the Greeks said from the stomach. And Paul says, put on faith and love. Let me give you an example of what I think this means. If you're functioning in faith and love as the breastplate that's going to protect what's on the inside here, faith and love here, how much better are you going to be? You see, faith is the idea that you banish anxiety, fear, worry, you push it back. So if you put on faith and you push these other things away, how much better are you now? Now you're ready to love, right? Now you're ready to step into somebody's life and say, hey, let me take care of this for you. Because you're not ate up with all the what ifs. Well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And so what we do is we put on faith and love. This is a personal thing. It doesn't say turn to your neighbor and tell them to put on faith and love. It says you put on faith and love. It doesn't say go somewhere so someone can put faith and love on you. It says you put on faith and love. Your responsibility to protect your heart is for you to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Let me ask you a few questions. How much more would you accomplish in the day if you didn't have this constant running what-if thing in your head? If you weren't just debilitated by fear or anxiety or worry, how much more how much more would you be able to get done? Let me ask you another one. How much more attention could you give the things that matter if you did not have to be consumed with self all the time? I don't mean the selfish part. I mean the worry part. How much more could you care for the things that really matter in your life? If you could get to that place to where you're like, my situation's good. Is your situation okay? Are you good? Are you good? I mean, I'm doing okay today. Are you good? Check me tomorrow. I might be off the rails, but today I'm doing it. Are you good? Are you good? Are you good? How much, how much better would we be? How much better would our marriages be if we took care of our own souls? Let me tell you something weird. Tell you something very, very weird. And this was, I didn't ask my wife if I could share this. I don't think she'll care. This was a strange, very strange thing. We went through a very, very rough patch in our marriage. And finally, we kind of got some stuff figured out. We had to go talk to some people. We kind of hashed it all out. And once we finally got rolling, within a year, I became such a healthy person, a much healthier person, emotionally healthy. Here's what's funny is my wife lost 35 pounds. 
We didn't talk about this. I didn't say, okay, now listen, I'll get my emotions in, under control if you'll lose 35 pounds. That wasn't a conversation. What happened was this. I became so much more aware of what's going on inside of me and began to take those and put them at the foot of the cross when I need to put them at the foot of the cross. And she began to get selfish with her own time in a good way and saying, I'm going to care for my own soul. And she started doing things for herself. I got better and she got better. We were going different directions. Like we did not have this thing to where we were just so codependent like, oh, so I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. She was just like, you better figure you out. And I was like, fine, I will. And I went off. And she went and did her thing and I did mine. And it was good. And it was kind of cool because then the marriage looked like a marriage. It didn't look like two people who had to be together. It looked like two people who were like, we kind of like one another, don't we? Like, well, this is kind of cool. Like, you're doing a cool thing, and I can I appreciate it. And she's like, and you're not a maniac, you know? <laughs> and so it was good because there wasn't this thing. I did mine, and she did hers. I put on faith and love, and she put on faith and love. And that was such a cool thing. It was such a cool thing. Imagine how much different your life would be <clears throat> if you were present in the moment. You weren't watching your life as some sort of outsider. You weren't somebody who was constantly thinking about what's going to happen or constantly thinking about stuff that did happen, but you were just right there in that moment, in that perfect space of saying, you know what? Life is just good. You know what's interesting? Here's what's interesting. This word right before, put on faith and love, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled is what Paul says. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Do you know what this word is? Sober-minded and present. Circumspect. Be here. Now, rational in this moment. To where not like, okay, what are we doing after church? See, here's what happens to me sometimes. I get so nervous about the preaching part of this sometimes that I cannot wait for it to be done. Like, I, like, I can't wait for this to be over, you know? And so sometimes my approach to this, and I have to tell myself, all right, calm down. You love this part. Like, this is a part you love. Slow down and enjoy this connection. You get to connect with these people on all these different levels for like, you know, 20 to 45 minutes, you know? This is, this is a good thing. Slow down and enjoy this. What could we do with our life if we could actually be present? We weren't fretting about what, what happened, and we weren't scared about what was going to happen, but we were just right here going, whatever's gone back there, God is picking up the pieces and putting it back together for me. And whatever's going to happen in the future, he's already on my team. Now, some of us inevitably come to this place to where we say, <clears throat> well, I still don't feel like I'm getting what I need from the people around me. I still feel like I'm not getting the appreciation from the people around me. Now, I want you to consider something. Have you ever thought that maybe the way you live your life, not being present, rushing, the busyness, the hasty type of life, really does not serve you for being able to receive love? Have you ever thought about this? Sometimes the way you approach life looks so busy, people actually pull away from you. 
Don't stop them. They seem busy. Don't, don't get in their way. They seem busy. Don't, don't, don't talk to them. They seem busy. Don't bother them. They seem busy. And sometimes inside of our marriages, we do the same thing. To where we look at the other one like, oh, they seem like something's wrong. Okay, I'm definitely not talking to her now. <laughs> definitely not going to come over there and knock on that door. That's for sure. Well, he seems like he's really into whatever he's doing. I'm not going to bother him. That's part of the deal. When we're present, that changes things. Sometimes we don't get what we need inside of our life from the people around us who love us most because we have this approach to life that it's just constantly move, 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 move. I'm going somewhere. I'm doing something. Get out of my way. I caught myself saying this the other day, and I've kind of been on myself uh, about this. And this is a really ugly thing. <laughs> One of my kids said something to me. Hey, Dad. And she started to tell me a story. And I said to her, follow me. I'm walking. Follow me. Follow me. Wherever I'm going, I'm sure it's very important. I was probably looking for a screwdriver. That's probably what it was. Follow me. So I have to kind of check myself on that deal because <clears throat> I get in that place. Busy. I don't want my kids to, to look at me like, Oh, I always love just looking at the side of my dad's face, talking to the side of my dad's head. You know, because I'm just doing this thing all the time and they just talk to the side of my... I don't want that. There's got to be a change in there somehow. Why don't my kids listen to me? Huh. Maybe it's because you don't listen to them. What a moron, Jared. Why is that? Because sometimes this is what we do. We throw this thing forward. Being present means we, be able to, we are able to turn and say, okay, I need one second. Can you hold that thought for one second? Okay, I'll be right back. Or go ahead, tell me. I'm looking for a screwdriver, and I have no idea where it is. Go ahead. And then have the conversation. The next thing he says, next thing Paul says is, put on the hope of salvation, which is the helmet. Put on the hope of salvation, which is the helmet. 65% of Christians doubt their faith. Statistic I just read uh, this week. 65% of Christians doubt their standing with God. Am I going to make it in or not? 65% eh? say, it's up in the air. See, what's crazy about this is that we don't feel like that in our heart. In our heart, we feel like, oh, I'm way saved, right? The problem's not my heart. The problem is always my head. As somebody has said before, the longest road in the world is the 18 inches between your head and your heart. Getting what's here to here, that's the hard part. And we sit in that place and like, I hope I'm going to make it in. I mean, I tried real hard. It's the hope of salvation. That's the helmet. What does it do? Well, what does a helmet do? A helmet guards our head, keeps our head safe. What does the hope of salvation as a helmet do? It assures you of this. It assures you of this. Am I in good standing with God? You should know that. Why would somebody else know that? You should know that. 65% of Christians have, have reported that they found themselves in this place of, 
don't know what my standing with God is. <laughs> Here's what's crazy to me. How in the world do we take the world for Jesus Christ when two-thirds of our team isn't sure if they're on the team? If two-thirds of the team is like, I think I play for them, how do you get somebody else to join the team? Which is strange because that's the Great Commission. The, the thing, the main thing that we were handed over, go do this. Okay, we're going to go do this. Can we? I don't know. I don't know if he's going to pick me or not. You don't know if he's picked you? Well, let's run through it. Was there a moment in your life to where you decided, I don't want to live for myself anymore? And you took your life and you said, I'm not going to live like I've been living. I'm turning and I'm going the other direction. It's called repentance. It's a requirement for your salvation. Repentance is a requirement. You cannot keep doing the same dirt you were doing before and be like, nah, Jesus is good with it. Jesus isn't good with it. It's repentance. We turn. We change. Next one is this. Was there a moment in your life to where you said, on your own, I want to be baptized. I want to identify with Jesus in the waters of baptism. Was there that moment? Okay, if so, then that's another thing that Scripture says, another requirement. What, how does salvation come? Repent and be baptized, every single one of you. And so it's tossed out in front of us. Okay, so have you done those? Okay, third one. Are you living a faithful and holy life? Meaning, I don't knock it out of the park every single day. I don't knock it out of the park any day. I, but I don't mess it up like I used to mess it up. When I do mess it up, I learn how to go to God, and just like I did in the beginning, and say, okay, botched this one pretty good. Um, please forgive me. Give me some insights on how to navigate this better next time. Put me in a better place. What am I supposed to learn from this? And I begin to process my failure different than I did before. I accept the forgiveness that he offers, and I get up, and I pick up my cross, and I move on down the road. If that's you, guess what? Stop doubting. You're on the team. You're there. That's what we do. If that's not you, you're what we would call friends of the faith. Ones who are like, I'm not, cool. I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing. I'm going to stand out on the outside just a little bit. I'm not going to make my decision just yet. I kind of like what's going on. I'm kind of liking what I'm hearing. But that's a big wager. And I'm putting a lot out there. I don't know that I want to just yet. Hey, you know what? Good for you. Good for you. You're hearing something. He's talking to you. He's drawing you near. Good. Stay right there. I will warn you, though. You keep messing with Jesus, he's going to mess you up. promise you. He's going to mess you up. He always does. He's going to make you insane, and you'll be talking about him someday, and you'll be like, what am I talking? Why am I talking about G? That's what happens. That's what happens. You get around him, and all of a sudden, he just begins to take over slowly, and then you think to yourself, how in the world have I ever got along in my life without him? How did this happen? Because that's the move that Jesus makes in your life. And that comes back to this, the helmet of salvation. This guards our thoughts and mind. Let me read you another verse. This is a really great verse. <clears throat> Paul reemphasizes 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. 
Can we take one second for just a moment? Okay. I want you to, uh, I want you to think about this. Because this is not how we think about God very often. Face this fact. He did not appoint us so that we would suffer wrath. Now give it just a second. Do you believe that? Or when something happens, do you think to yourself like, he's getting me. He's getting me. He's getting me because of what I did. He's getting me because of whatever. Do you go to a place of he's getting me? Or do you say, you know what? This thing's happening because it's going to be a good thing. He did not appoint us to suffer wrath. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are already doing. Second thing is this. After we are done caring for our own souls, now we are in a good spot. Now we can care for the souls of other people. Verse 12 through 15. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Between between Sundays... A Sunday morning service all the way back around to the following Sunday Sunday morning service and a Wednesday youth group service it takes about 30 people to make sure everything is in order so that we can do what we need to get done from the children's church stuff to the communion stuff to the administrative stuff to the musicians to the communion guys to the nursery workers to the classroom people who are downstairs teaching children's church to the janitorial stuff, to the maintenance stuff. It takes about 30 people to make sure everything can get done. Here's what else is interesting. That means that there are people out there, you, who you look around and you say, you know what, I probably need to step up, fill in somewhere, help out on some level, contribute something. What is it that I need to do? Here's what's great. Look what the next one says. Well, and let me, let me say this. For you who do that, for you who, who find a way to serve and, and, and um, help out where you can help out, we appreciate you. We hold you in high regard from, you know, the elders to everybody to the children's church teachers, all of you. We appreciate you very much. Appreciate you very much. Check this out. The very next line. We ask you to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you, and who are in the Lord and in the Lord and who admonish you hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work live in peace with each other okay I don't know if you've been to other churches but in other churches sometimes they are a war zone have you ever been there a nightmare now thankfully God has done something really kind of strange here in protecting us from just some of the mayhem that typically happens in church. Now, I can tell you what we did on our own is that we got rid of carpet because that would typically split a church in half. I don't know if you're aware of that. The second you start talking about carpet, you're like, so what color? 
Oh, I think we ought to do tan. I think we ought to do beige. Isn't it the same? It's definitely not the same. I'm going somewhere else. What just happened? Like, that's how that thing goes. We've kind of fixed that problem here. We're just like, uh, you know what? You're not going to bicker about it. I'll take carpet away from everybody. All right? So we're done. So what we see in this place, and God has somehow protected us, is we just don't have that kind of mayhem that just goes on. This is a peaceful place. Live at peace with one another. I wish, I wish other churches would. I wish other churches would. You know, I, I, I've, I've been in churches before where I thought, man, if there was just this much more peace, man, it would be good. I've also been in churches to where I have contributed to the uh, malevolence and the chaos within the church. I wish I would have had more peace then. Interesting verse. Goes right on from there, talking about all those who work hard and who live at peace. And then we get to verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are lazy. Warn those who are lazy. Here's our job as Christians. So job as Christians, not my job as the minister. Our job as Christians with individuals. Warn people who are spiritually lazy. Warn them. Okay, so... Since I brought it up, I'll go first. If you're lazy spiritually, it will show up in every other aspect of your life. It will show up in every other aspect of your life. It'll show up in your kids. It'll show up in your work ethic. It'll show up in the way you spend your money. It'll show up in your language. It'll show up in the peace in your home. If you're spiritually lazy, these things will all come along with it. You'll see other things begin to fall apart. If you are not, if you are a spiritually lazy person, these are the things that will accompany it. You begin to see other things on the vine that just will not work. If that's the case in your life, listen, you are not damned to hell forever, but let me tell you what you are. Lazy. If you stay that way, it won't work. It will be a fail. It's just a, it's just a, this is just a, uh, a plateau to where you're headed eventually where you're going to fall and you're going to screw it up, some major moral failure, or you're just never going to receive this peace and rest that God has lined up for you. You'll never become what it is he sees you becoming. If you're a spiritually lazy person, warn them, okay? You've been warned. You can warn me after church when I'm done. Next one. Encourage the timid, Help the weak. Encourage the timid and help the weak. This is a very, this is a very great verse. Encourage the, the, uh, encourage the timid. It means one with small courage. One with small courage. So let me ask you something. Do you have big decisions that you need to be making at your house or with your job or personally? Do you have some decisions that you need to make, but you kind of... Keep yourself back like, oh, I don't know. You've got big issues that you need to address inside your house, but you're not addressing them because you're scared, timid, one with small courage. Let me, let me offer you a prayer that you can pray. Dear God, show me what it is you see in me. Show me 
what it is you see in me. Here's what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to find out you're a whole lot bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. You're going to find out how he sees you, and you're going to begin to understand, like, okay, so I have more strength than I think. You're much bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. But see, this part isn't about us. This part is about everybody else. Encourage the timid. What that means is if you've got your stuff together and you look out and you see people with small courage, your responsibility is to step into their life and be like, hey, yo, you're good. Brother, you're good. Pull yourself up. Dust yourself off. You're good. Go do the thing. Buck up. The Lord's pushing you a little bit, but you're good. Go do the thing. You're strong. You've got this. Encourage those with small courage. Third one is this. Always try to be kind to each other. Help the weak is the verse. Help the weak. If you come to service here and you look up and you see somebody and you think, I should probably go say something to them or high five them or shake their hand or hug them or give them $5 or I should pray for them or I just need to, I don't know. Like I, you feel these kind of weird draws to people at times. When you have those, this is what this is. The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart saying, go help those who are weak. Quite literally, hold up the sick. Hold them up. Listen, it is not, it is not out of the norm for you to come to church here and see somebody who you go, their faith is walking on a tightrope. They are walking on a tightrope. They are inches from falling off either way. When you see that and you have that thought, that's your cue to go and hold up the sick, to step into their life and be like, hey, I just want you to know I see you here a lot and I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. Hey, I know things are uh, maybe tough or maybe not, but I just want you to know I appreciate you. And if you don't think that goes a long ways, if you don't think that goes a long ways, maybe just take a little bit of a pinhole, look back into your own life and what you've experienced and the people who've meant the most to you. My guess is it's those who've encouraged you and held you to the line when you didn't want to. Those who made you stay in school. Those who told you you were good when you know you weren't good. Those who told you you were really doing a good job when you know you couldn't hit a t-ball off a tee, you know? Those are the kind of people and when you show up in somebody else's life and you tell them this, it makes a difference. So once we're done caring for ourselves, we begin to care for other people. Paul begins to address a completely different deal. Now, care for God. Well, it's interesting, really, because God is not somebody who is weak and tends to need. Or so we think. But yet we're still to care for God. How do we care for God? Verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Have you ever spoiled your kid on accident and then you noticed? You caught him like being lazy and spoiled and you know it was your fault and you're like, oh, that's not good. That's not good at all. Let's just like throw trash down. Just like throw something down. Like, what is Pick that crap up. What is wrong with you? Where you know you've kind of messed them up in a way. 
Or you find that your kid is just not happy about something. What's wrong with this kid? I give them every single thing in the world and they're just, they're just sad about all that. It's not good enough. These are the kind of things that you can face as a parent. When you do see these kind of things, one of the things that happens to you instantly is you begin to ungrateful little you want to get him how much more true is that for God he's like okay so uh, I've done everything I can possibly do for you including sacrifice my son you ungrateful be joyful yeah, but I'm not happy. That's, okay, listen. Happy is a completely different deal than be joyful, okay? Happy is when something happens, you're like, I'm so happy that happened. I got pulled over and I got a warning. I'm so happy. <laughs> joyful is, I got pulled over and got a ticket. Dude, that'll teach me. At least I got a car. not so bad at least I'm okay at least we live in a place where this can happen I can trust this guy I can move on and go do the next thing it's okay joyful is your choice happy sometimes that happens to you that's good happy's great but joyful that's a mindset and part of, I think, the response is this. If God looks at us and is like, what are these people sad for all the time? Why are you always sad? You're ungrateful. That's what your problem is. I think that's how God would see us. Like, these, you can't do anything to make these kids happy. It reminds me of the Old Testament to where Israel's coming through, um, coming through the desert. And they come up against everything they come up against. It's constantly, they're just whining. They look at Moses at one point and they're like, hey, uh, what's the point in bringing us out here in the desert? Couldn't find any graves in Egypt? God's just like, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to. Moses is like, don't get him, don't get him, don't get him. Don't get him. Be joyful. Listen, if you can't find anything good in your life, call me this week. Let's set up an appointment and talk. I'd love to talk to you. Love it. If you're just one of those people who's just constantly sad all the time and life is terrible, oh, and everything's falling apart, I want you to call me on the phone because I would love to have that conversation with you. Love to, love to, love to. I'll tell you where we'll start. How did you get my number? <laughs> what did you call me on? How did you get here? Did you make it up the stairs by yourself? Oh, okay. I think we could start there on you doing okay. My guess is you're probably not going to call them and have that meeting, right? <laughs> be joyful always. Pray continually. This means let there not be blocks of unspent time to where you're not praying. Pray continually all the time? Well, listen, it's kind of like that conversation that I'm having with my wife all day long by text message. She sends me something random, and then I send her back something random, and then she sends me something random, and I send her back something random. And there's these moments that I think about her and I send her something nice and she thinks about me and she sends me something nice. And I think, you know what, I don't want to eat tacos tonight. I'm going to tell her, I think we ought to have, you know, hamburgers. And she says, too bad we eat tacos and so we have tacos. <laughs> 
And we have this conversation. And I think sometimes what happens with our relationship with God is we think about, so how's your prayer life? Well, I don't wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is pray and spend 20 minutes in prayer before I go tackle the world. Sometimes I go into the life and I'm like, whoa, 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 I'm not ready. Okay, Lord, we need to talk. This is crazy. Sometimes I wake up and I'm thinking about him and sometimes I don't. But he's thinking about me and he lays stuff on my heart. I speak to him and he speaks back to me. Pray continuously. There should be this conversation running with you and God. <clears throat> Last one is this. Um, and always be kind to each other. I mean, I'm sorry. Give thanks in all things. Give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks for all things. If you run down through your life, what's good in your life? Do you have good in your life? Thank God for it. Think about your kids when they come up and they tell you thank you for the random little things. Bought a pack of gum for my little girl one day. Here's a little pack of gum for you. Hey, thank you so much for the gum. Gum gets me a lot of love at home, you know? Bring a pack of gum home. My 10-year-old is in love with me. I'm the best. She will tell me with her mother in the room, Dad, you're better than her. That's what I'm shooting for every single day. It's what I want every single day for me to be number one and her to be number two. That's what I want. Be thankful always. Why? Because I will do anything for her because I love to hear you say, Dad, thank you so much. Okay, what do you want? A Ferrari? I'll do my best. We must care for God in the same way. Proverbs 15, 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Verse 9 says this, The Lord detests the way of the, the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 23, we'll wrap up right there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May God himself, this is the great result, if I live this way as I wait on the king, what's the ultimate result? What can I expect from my life? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Then may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, body, uh, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. What can I expect? I can expect God to hold me together as I travel through this insane world. The God of peace is going to hold me together as I go through the, 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 the cyclones, the, the whirlwinds, the trouble, the hailstorms, the, the, uh, the complications and the difficulties. I can expect that the God of peace is going to somehow keep control of me as I go through these. And that's the expectation as we wait on our Lord who is coming.